uh, for a lot of food, uh, a, a precursor to Black Friday, right? It's the warm-up for Black Friday. It's the big meal that you go so that you can camp out and not have to eat breakfast. Um, we've lost a bit of the character of the day, haven't we? The day of Thanksgiving is little more than an opportunity for us to focus and we might say reinvigorate our natural sensibilities about the emotional and spiritual state which should really be consistent in our lives. The emotional and spiritual state that should overshadow everything that we do, everything we say, everything that we think. It should not just be a place in which we live, but it should be the context in which we live. The context of thanksgiving. And what we find from the Word of God is that as we live within this context of thanksgiving, we tap into certain pleasures, opportunities, a certain power, A power which becomes dim and even perhaps altogether absent if we fail to be thankful. So we're going to go through three passages of Scripture today. And as we do so, we're going to explore some of the, we might call, empowerments that are provided for the believer as he lives in a place and a context of determined thanksgiving. And we begin in Philippians chapter 6 with the power, I mean, excuse me, Philippians 4, with the power to be at peace. The power to be at peace. Peace is not something that comes easily to the human heart. Our days are filled with cares and with worries and with distractions. Our flesh strives to fill us with guilt for our past and worry about our future. Our minds struggle to remain in the moment while there's so much happening all around us. In a world filled with so much input, television, internet, radio, it's, have you noticed it's kind of hard to still your mind? That with so much input all the time, it can be hard to slow down, to, to still your mind, to find that place of peace. And we do need to understand how the society in which we live contributes to the problem. We live in an unprecedentedly fast age. Unprecedented. For a large portion of history, what was is what would be. A man would be born, grow up, live, die in the same place. He'd do what his dad did because his dad did what his dad did. He did the same thing. He did it for generations. You learned, you cultivated, you, you, you grew in skill. Your, your family had a direction. You, you had a purpose. Things were slower. Things were simpler. That's no longer the case. It's been just a matter of decades since cell phones and the personal computer became mainstream and now they're one and the same. They're in the palm of our hand, and, and the input is almost, can be, especially with social media, constant. So how do we find peace in a world that's anything but peaceful? Not only is all their input, but of course we know what's going on around us. We know what's happening in society. It's not a time of peaceful thoughts or actions. How do we find peace? Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, tell us this. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds 
through Christ Jesus. Now, it's important that we understand the foundation for this, and this is faith in Christ. That the foundation to peace with God, peace, the peace of God is peace with God. That we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're all sinners. And because we're sinners, we have been separated from God and separated from His peace. And because we're sinners, we of course have been directed, not just separated from Him, but for, for this life before eternity in a, in a place of eternal punishment called hell. Sin has to have a punishment. And that punishment is a place of fire called hell. Eternal separation from God and conscious torment. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the good news. Is that though we are separated from God, God took it upon himself to reconcile us, to bring us back into a place of peace with him by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, a sinner's death. He had never once sinned, and yet he was put on the cross. He died a sinner's death, and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that as he hung on that cross, the Father made his son, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God took our sin, placed it on Christ, so that Christ's righteousness, for he was sinless, could be placed on us. And so the scriptures tell us, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never recognized that you're a sinner, that you're on your way to hell, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, but he didn't just die on the cross either. The Bible says three days later he rose from the dead. And as he rose from the dead, it, it, sin had no power over him and it's what he declared. That the promises that he made that he could give you eternal life, that he could break the chains of sin, that he could give you peace, if he's in the grave and his bones are still in the grave today, then those promises were nothing. But the fact that he rose again proves that he has power over death, power over sin, power over even the wickedness of a sinful heart. And so because he lives, so too can we, if we will but accept him. And that's the foundation for what we talk about this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, everything that I'm going to say today cannot be yours until you've, you've come to him, until you've accepted the gift until you've accepted Christ as your Savior. But for we who are in Christ, the first thing that our thanksgiving gives us the power to have is the power to be at peace. Prayer brings peace. Prayer is our opportunity to take our concerns and leave them before the Lord. But prayer also demands that our minds slow down, that we focus. Prayer is our means of communicating with the Almighty God. And when prayer is done in the way God intends, the result is peace. A peace that, the scriptures say, passeth all understanding. You don't get it. You, don't under, you won't understand how in the midst of the turmoil that is certain life circumstances, you can have peace. But you do. As you have taken your cares and your concerns and your worries and you've laid them before the Lord. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning, right? That you have cares and concerns and you bring them before the Lord and you say, Lord, this is your problem, not my problem because I'm your child. Father, you know what's going on. You're in control. Today didn't surprise you. It surprised me, but it didn't surprise you. What do you have in store for this day? What are you doing through this? How can I learn? How can I glorify you? The Job mentality, right? Right? 
where Job loses everything that he has. He loses all of his wealth and all of his children. In one day, his children are dead. His wealth is gone. And the scriptures say that Job arose and shaved his beard and rent his mantle and fell down on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How so? Perspective. How did he get it? Because he understood that it's God's. He left it with the Lord. How do we do that? The Bible says through prayer. And how is it that God intends prayer to be done? With thanksgiving. Philippians 4 verse 6 tells us. Perhaps some of you, particularly those who have been around on Tuesday nights when everyone prays, have heard how my daughters pray. If you haven't, uh, they're kind of growing out of it, which is a bit unfortunate, but it's a, it's a delight to listen. Their prayers are some of the most convicting prayers you'll hear, and, and while they're, like I said, they're growing into that new phase uh, where this tendency is, for better or for worse, kind of going away, because they're learning how to sound like mom and dad sound, um, their prayers have left a true impact on me. And what's unique about the way my daughters have prayed is that their prayers are wholly within the context of thanksgiving. In other words, they'll say something like this, Father, thank you for the good day today. Thank you to allow so-and-so to heal. Thank you to provide for our needs. They're asking for God. They're asking things for God in the context of thanksgiving. Things that haven't happened yet, they're thanking God for them. God, thank you for healing... When we were praying for Keegan in his surgery, God, thank you for giving Keegan a good surgery. That's, what, that's how they would pray for it. That, that they would pray saying, God, thank you for, for allowing his surgery to go well. God, thank you for healing. Um, right now we're praying for little Natalie, the Rogers little girl, uh, who's um, um, to be born in January, and she's been diagnosed um, with um, hydrocephalus. And we're praying for her. And if you listen to my girls pray, Father, thank you for allowing Natalie to be born healthy. That's how they pray. There's something to that, isn't there? There's something to that. Every request they make is given within the context of thanksgiving so that they are actually thanking God for the things that have yet to happen, but they fully expect will. And what a way to pray. To pray expectantly, to be sure, but even more so to pray thankfully. How thankful should we be that we have access to the throne of heaven? How thankful should we be that we have the ear of the God of the universe? How thankful should we be that he cares for us? How thankful should we be that he is in control? Tell you, throughout election season, we're thankful God's in control, aren't we? Throughout the ups and downs of life, raising children, illnesses, jobs, we're thankful God's in control. And when we consider these truths and we come in thanksgiving regularly into God's presence, the natural result will be peace. A couple of months ago, we memorized Jesus' words to his disciples in John 14, 27. We memorized it as a church. I won't ask you to say it together, although I was planning on it. Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
Jesus tells us that he has left his peace with us. And how is it that when he left, he left his peace? Well, through the Holy Spirit. And how is it that we exercise ourselves in the spiritual? Well, it's through prayer. You don't need me to tell you that the world is scrambling for peace today. Classes on finding peace through existential means, meditation, mind-altering medications, these things are commonplace in our culture today. But the grim reality that we need to face is that the church is failing in this category as well. We are failing at finding peace. We are cumbered about with a great many things, as Jesus would describe Martha. Our society has drifted in a direction towards ceaseless distraction and worry, and the church's prayer life has not increased to meet the level of demand, and so we lack peace. But we don't need to, because we have prayer. We have the resource at our disposal to have peace. And when we pray in thanksgiving, in accordance with Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we are promised that the anxiousness, the care, that's what that word, be careful, full of care. That's what it means. Not, not necessarily don't drop the dishes, but don't be full of care. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. The anxieties that we have will be replaced with an incomprehensible peace. So on this Thanksgiving week, there are some of us who need to stop, slow down, quit worrying, quit fretting, stop the frustration, stop the anxiety, and replace these with prayer. Replace the busyness with prayer and see if you won't find peace. The power to be at peace. Our second point, and this will be our final point, we'll look at two different passages, the power to abound in Christ. This is where we're going to focus And for this, uh, we'll begin in Colossians chapter 2. You can feel free to turn there if you have your Bibles handy. If you do need a Bible, there are some on the back table to my right, your left. Not only does Thanksgiving give the believer the power to be at peace, it also gives the believer the power to abound in Christ. This is one of those um, topics that perhaps is a little bit vague, but we'll try to bring it down. We'll try to focus it a bit this morning. The passages are a bit larger. We'll expound them a bit more deeply. Uh, But they they tie to this concept of anxiety and worry, and they actually tie to one another quite beautifully. They speak to us where we are as a culture and speak to the temptations which each of us face to be cast adrift from sound doctrine through deceits and allurements of this world. These two passages speak towards two dangers that are threatening, that can threaten your faith. The first being the danger of false doctrine as it relates to understanding. The second being the danger of false doctrine as it relates to living your life. Both of which relate to the concept of abounding in Christ. And as you find this place of thanksgiving, you will also find a place where you can abound in Christ. Notice what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verses 4 and 5. Paul here is writing to the church about his concern that they were falling into disunity as a result of the enticing words of false doctrine. And he says in verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul's intent in writing to these 
men and women in the church at Colossae writing these things is that no man would be able to deceive God's people through enticing words. Paul was not there in person, and as a, fa- as a matter of fact, we find in Colossians that he had never been to Colossae. He'd never met those people at all. He, he's writing to them, but he'd never met them. Others had b- planted the church. Others had led them to Christ. He had not met them. But he tells them that he is with them in spirit, the idea that he is praying for them and his teachings are with them. And as he does so, he says he, he joys to view their order and their steadfastness of faith in Christ. These were men and women in the church of Colossae who were orderly. They were dignified and they were faithful men and women. They were good believers. It was a good church. Yet they had their many enticing false doctrines. And there was a prevailing danger that God's people would fall into those false doctrines. Paul then continues in verses 6 and 7. He says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein, here it is, with thanksgiving. Here's the power. Here is where we find the command and the power to bring it about. As you have received Christ, so walk in Christ. You have him. Now live in him. You've received him. Now walk with him. What does it mean? How does it come about? He says, be rooted and built up in Christ. Be rooted in him. Be growing in him. Establish yourself in the faith. Understand what is truth and envelop yourself and give yourself to the truths of God's word. And by abounding in what you have been taught with thanksgiving. There's a danger that faces Christians in every age, including our own. And that's the danger of being in Christ, being a believer, but not abounding in Christ with being a believer but not experiencing the abundance of walking with the Lord. And this isn't about do's and don'ts. This isn't about what you do and what you don't do. It's not a matter of living as much as as I mentioned at the beginning. It's a context of living. It's about whether or not what you're doing pleases Christ. And Paul describes several elements of danger that can strip from us this abundant life, which we'll consider in a moment. This danger that faces us all. The danger that we are not thankful for the life that we have in Christ. We want salvation, but do we want sanctification? We want to have eternal life, but do we want to live our life Christ's way? We can say that that we want this. And we can live this way. We can live in such a way that, that we are in Christ, but not walk, we're, we've received Christ, but we're not walking in Christ. We can live in such a way that we have the faith, we're believers, but we're not actually abounding in Christ. We can live that way, but in doing so, we're missing the abundance of life in Christ. We're missing the power of the Christ-filled life. And I think this can be a temptation if I may focus it down a little bit. I think this might be even more of a temptation for you who are what we call second generation believers or third or fourth. Those who have grown up in a Christian home. We're tempted not to be thankful for Christ, for his word, for his doctrines, and for the faith. Sure, we're glad that we're saved, but we're tempted to fall short of thankfulness 
for the life into which we have been saved. We're thankful to have received Christ Jesus the Lord, but perhaps not thankful enough of what it means to walk in Him. The grass on the other side, the life of self-indulgence, it looks so sweet, right? The grass is always greener. And to us, faith can seem like a means of holding us back from happiness rather than the source of our happiness. But it isn't. And I say that this is perhaps a tendency to the second generation believers because if you were saved at a later age or you were saved out of a non-Christian home, uh, then you understand the other side. And you, you know that what you're missing is not worth having. But for those who are kind of grew up preserved, shielded from the world around us and the evils that are therein and the wickedness and the failings and the sins that have consumed this age, uh, perhaps don't understand that fully. And you can be tempted to not be thankful for what you have been given, for that blessing of being protected. And yet, fullness of joy as we understand from the scriptures, is in Christ. I can't convince you of that. This church can't convince you of that. Your parents can't convince you of that. You must come to this persuasion in your own heart, either by faith or by experience or or by regret. And remember what we've said. It's not the manner of living, but the context in which we live. You can be abounding in Christ with thanksgiving in a bad marriage situation. You can be abounding in Christ in thanksgiving with a bad home life. You can be abounding in Christ with thanksgiving with parents that you disagree with. You can be abounding in Christ with thanksgiving with an oppressive government or a horrible boss. Because abounding in Christ is not a circumstantial thing. It's not based upon circumstances. It's based upon your perspective and determination to thankfully accept that which God has given you. A determination that God's word is true and that you are going to follow it. And because this is the case, even if things aren't great in circumstance, God is pleased because you're doing his word and his will. And that's enough for you. And you're thankful. And this is what it means to abound in Christ in thanksgiving. So Paul gives a warning. And he says this in Colossians 2.8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What are the elements which threaten to strip from us the joy of abounding in Christ with thanksgiving, of living this life, of obeying the Lord, and, and just being thankful in His presence? Well, first... There's a warning against the philosophy, of, against philosophy and vain deceit. Now, not all philosophy is bad, but rather warning against an intellectual high-mindedness which replaces biblical truth with man's truth, with philosophical concepts or assumptions that have no profit. The, people, Christians even, oftentimes can be caught up in this. this is, that's the warning here, the warnings to Christians who can get so caught up in intellectualism or can get so caught up in humanistic philosophy that they forget what the Word of God actually has to say. That they leave this for this. Or some other book that they're reading. 
And the specific warning in, in the, the Church of Colossae was against a philosophy known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a philosophy that teaches that there's a certain group of people and they have secret knowledge that nobody else has and you have to join and become a part of them in order to get the secret knowledge in order to be right with God or to have a true relationship with God. Uh, the, the group today that is closest to the Gnostics of that day are Freemasons. The, the Masonic Lodge and Freemasons are a Gnostic Group, They believe they have secret knowledge and they're special, but there are, I mean, thousands, right, out there. And we could even look at Scientology and Mormon Church and the Jehovah's Witness and many even offshoots of, of what used to be faithful churches that have leaned toward a philosophy of vain deceit and a Gnostic idea. Um, it's a perversion of Jesus' teachings that there's only one road to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they say there's only one road to heaven and we're the only ones that know how to get there, which isn't true, right? Jesus Christ has sent his gospel out into the whole of the world, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that creation and conscience and the word of God declare the truths of God's word. We don't have secret knowledge. We do have the way. We know the way, but it's not a secret. We're intended to send it out as far as we can and to everybody that will hear. And in today's world where information is so prevalent, there's literally no end to the number of vain and deceitful philosophies which are out there. But they all carry certain characteristics which immediately reveal them to be false. They don't reflect the Christ of the Bible. They reflect either the traditions of men or the philosophies of the world, but they don't reflect the Christ of the Bible. And we need to be aware of this because this can strip you of your joy, of your thankfulness, of your capacity to abound in Christ. We will never walk in Christ by following the traditions of men. We will never walk in Christ by following the philosophies of, of the world. We walk in Christ by following Christ and the way he goes. Then Paul continues with a statement of truth regarding your relationship with God in verses 9 and 10. For in him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. And it goes on. I wish we could preach the whole passage. We don't have time. I'm not going to today. But this tells us, in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The whole essence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is realized in each of the Godhead, and Christ being one of those. Every aspect of God's character is found in Christ. If you're following Christ, you're following God. If you believe in Christ, you believe in God. And here's the thing about that. You have Christ in you if you have accepted him as your Savior. Which means the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in you. Now that's not man becoming divine. That's a false doctrine. This is the divine coming to live in a man. This is the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, directing us, teaching us. And that means... If Christ is, is the fullness of God and you're in Christ, then you are complete in Him. Not you plus traditions. Not you plus philosophies. Not you plus some secret knowledge. You are complete in Christ. You need nothing more to have an abundant life in Christ than to walk in the Christ that is in you to abide with Him, John 15 in thanksgiving. Made whole. Lacking nothing. 
complete in Christ, then why do we so often feel like we're lacking? Why do we so often feel that itch for things that we don't have? Emotionally lacking. Materially lacking. If only I could have that, I'd be happy. If only I could feel this way, I'd be satisfied. If only I had, boy, fill in the blank, right? Call it material possession. Oh, and then I'd feel better, right? You get this with kids a lot. Every day, it's if only I could have that cookie, I'd never ask you for anything else, right? Until the next day when they ask you for it again. But you're convinced that if you got that cookie, you'd be satisfied, only you're not. It can be that way with material possessions. It can be that way emotionally, right? You're going on an emotional roller coaster from high to high. You're looking for the next thing to, to get you through the day. The next punch, the next uh, quaint thought. You have to read some sort of um, nice quotes book or something every day to kind of get you to the next. You go from quote to quote, going from quote to quote through the day, trying to keep yourself encouraged. We're complete in Christ. We've received Christ Jesus the Lord. But remember where Paul started this. As ye have received him, even so walk ye in him. Are you walking in Christ? If so, then you you will feel complete with thanksgiving, abounding with thanksgiving. But if only I had, no, no, no. You do have. You have everything you need and more in Christ. You're complete in Him. Are you living out that reality? Are you abounding in Christ with thanksgiving? I think this week could solve a big part of the problem that might be in some of our hearts this morning. Developing a thankful heart, not just for what God has done for you, but for what that means to you. Thankful to God for the walk that you can have with Him. Thankful to God for calling you out of a world of darkness and into His light. Thankful to God that you are alive in Christ to walk after Him. Not after the emptiness and vanity of this world. Not after the guilt of the traditions of men. Not after the arrogance of philosophies. But after a simple, humble carpenter born of a virgin in a manger in a tiny town in Bethlehem who grew up not asking anything of himself, no place to lay his head, kept his mouth shut when he was being falsely accused and died on a cross for you. And it's enough. And it's everything and more. But if only I had. If only I had. If only I had that thing, if only I had that job, if only I had that boyfriend, if only I had that girlfriend, if only I had that spouse, if only I had, if only I had that place, if only I could move here, if only I could do that, if only I had a better church. Are you complete in Christ? You are. Do you know it? As you have received him, are you walking in him? Are you abounding in Christ with thanksgiving? When we approach our walk with Christ from the context of thanksgiving, things change. So serving the Lord by serving your boss, you know that terrible boss you've got? Becomes a blessing, not a burden. Not because your boss just became any less of a tyrant, but because you're serving the Lord. And if indeed you are walking with Him and serving the Lord by serving your boss, is that enough? When is the last time you thanked God for your boss? Your business. When's the last time you abounded with Christ in your job with thanksgiving? 
So serving the Lord by serving your church becomes a blessing and not a burden. Not because it got easier, because your pastor is better, because he's finally figured something out, but because you're serving the Lord by serving your church, and by doing so, you're walking in Him. When's the last time you thanked God for your church? So serving the Lord by submitting to your parents becomes a blessing and not a burden. Not because your parents have finally figured something out or because they agree with you now or because it's any easier. But because by serving, by by obeying your parents, you're serving the Lord. And that should be enough for you. Isn't that enough? That you have the privilege of abounding in Christ with thanksgiving and serving the Lord? When was the last time, children, you thanked God for your parents? So abstaining from fleshly lusts becomes a burden and not a I mean, it becomes a blessing and not a burden. Not because the flesh is any less alluring, but because you're serving the Lord. And isn't that enough? That you can abstain from worldly lusts that war against the soul and please the Lord? Isn't that enough? Because indeed, we're complete in Christ. It, we, we ought to be so wholly satisfied in that which Christ has provided for us with thanksgiving. When's the last time you thanked God for the power to live a virtuous life? Do you see the perspective change? Are you thankful that you have been called out of this world? Are you thankful that you can find fulfillment in virtue instead of vice? Are you thankful that in Christ you have the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you can live a life of fullness of joy? Are you abounding in Christ with thanksgiving this morning? Do you see that thanksgiving can give you that power to abound in Christ? Do you want to abound in Christ? Do you even want that? If you don't, you don't know what you're missing. Do you yearn to know Him? Can you find it in your heart to walk before Him in thanksgiving? This is a great week to kickstart that, isn't it? It's Thanksgiving week. It's the week where we're supposed to be doing that. We're focusing on it. It's a great week to kickstart that. That's what this week is all about, is it not? The concept of thanksgiving is beyond obedience. It is liberation from the oppression of needing to have your own way. May I say that again? The concept of thanksgiving goes beyond obedience. Thanksgiving is liberation from the oppression of you having to have it all your own way. It liberates you to trust God's way, to love God's way, and to believe that if you do it God's way, it's what's best for you, even if you don't understand why. And so after speaking about the danger of false humility and vain tradition, on the importance of refusing judgmentalism on the basis of external fruits, all that Paul talks about in Colossians 2, he says this in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. If ye then be risen with Christ, if you, are, if you died with Christ, you rose with him, you're abounding in him with thanksgiving, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Isn't that a blessed thought? Mortify, kill, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication and uncleanness and inordinate affection and evil concupiscence, covetousness. I don't, I'm not going to explain what all those mean today, but get a concordance and look those up if you don't know what some of those words mean. Which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. 
in the which ye also walked sometime, when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So by calling upon us to reject vain tradition, vain philosophy, he's not calling upon you to reject virtue and morality. Rather, when we're abounding in Christ with all thanksgiving, we will joyfully put off the old man, knowing that it's hopelessly inferior, and we'll put on the new man, which is after Christ and in God. Abounding in Christ with thanksgiving. Are you there this morning? Do you yearn to walk with Christ? Or are you so busy going your own way, you've even forgotten what it's like to abound in Christ with thanksgiving? Do the commandments of Christ seem to be hindrances to your plans, or are they the very essence of your joy? Are you thankful for Christ? The power to abound in Christ from Colossians chapter 3 with thanksgiving. Next, we'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This will be our final passage. In this passage, Paul again is warning the people that, will de- that, that um, he's warning that in the latter days, people will depart from the faith. And we read this in verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The Spirit of God tells us in the latter times there will be men and women who will depart from the faith, and instead they will head toward what's called seducing spirits or doctrines of devils, philosophies and and ideologies that claim to be God, but are actually rooted in Satan, to lure people away from the truth. Movements which have crept into the church certainly today, um, things such as the social gospel, self-esteem movement, third-way feminism, these are all doctrines of devils and seducing spirits to draw the heart of the church away from the word of God. Many more. Paul says that there's a false spirit, that these doctrines, they're speaking lies in hypocrisy. They're operating under a conscience which has been seared, so it no longer feels the conviction of guilt, the conviction over sin. And as Paul warns of these false doctrines, he keys in on the same concept which we read about in Colossians. Those who would erect a rigorous set of unreasonable and false moral or immoral standards which seek not to guide but to control. And it's interesting that he would speak such a warning in the context of those who speak lies and hypocrisy and have their consciences seared. It's not often a mark of false teachers and false systems of worship to have higher standards, and yet here that's what we see. They often uh, have, however, all these false systems, unreasonable expectations while ignoring far more important things. A false spiritualism, which gauges morality on unreasonable outward standards. And Paul says you need to turn away from this. And he describes the false standards of this particular system in 1 Timothy 4.3. He says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And this is where we get into the bulk of what we're looking for here. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. The point is this. 
as we consider the power of God to abound in Christ with thanksgiving, Paul tells us that there are things upon this earth which God has given us, things such as marriage and food, things which can be used for evil but which in themselves are virtuous. These things are meant to be received with thanksgiving by we who know the truth of God's word. And he says this in verses 4 and 5. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Every creation of God is good and ought not be refused as it's received with thanksgiving and thus in the context that God has given it. The things that we have upon this earth were created by God in virtue. Marriage is a virtuous outlet. One man, one woman, for life, a virtuous outlet for the desire for sexual intimacy. God has given you a means by which to fulfill that because it's not wrong in and of itself. But it can be taken and made wrong as the world around us has testified every day. Made wrong through adultery and fornication. Made wrong through sodomy. Made wrong through every sexual perversion that we see all around us every day. Licentiousness is kind of a broad word often used in the scriptures. Same with food and drink. Material things. God has given us these things to enjoy. Designed for our pleasure in the proper context. Can be ruined. Can be used wrongly, but given for our pleasure. And in this concept, here's the other side of the coin here. We do right. We abound in Christ with thanksgiving. We recognize the boundaries in which he's placed us. We thank God for those boundaries and we live joyfully within them. But then we understand that those boundaries, folks, are actually quite broad. Like Adam and Eve in the garden where God said, you can eat of every tree except for the one. Yes, there was a boundary, but oh, how broad were their freedoms. The freedom to do right. The freedom to live within the boundaries that God has placed and to do so with joy. And there's nothing that you need. There's nothing that can give you joy that is outside of Christ that you cannot find greater joy living within the boundaries He's given you. That's what we're learning. That as we abound in Christ with thanksgiving, if we live within the boundaries of that which God has given, we are complete In Him, we need nothing more. And anything more than that is selfishness. Anything more than that will not give you what you are seeking. The pleasure that you want. The principle given in the text is that God has provided for us in this world and He has given us a context within which to enjoy the things that He's provided. The, The world around us, there's so much virtuous enjoyment to have in it. We're going to eat on Thanksgiving and there's so much pleasure to have in gathering as family and friends around a table and enjoying a good meal. But can it be used for vice? Absolutely it can. Family gets together, it can turn into a boxing match. Right? Gluttonous feasting, going outside of moderation, drunkenness, there will be plenty of that among the world on Thanksgiving Day. Taking God's blessings intended to be used for joy and using them for vice. But do you see that God has provided all of these things for your pleasure and there's so much pleasure to be had in the context of Christ. 
Just as we learned in Colossians, we are complete in Him. All in this life of true joy and happiness can be found in Christ. And this week we have the opportunity to seek those things. Maybe to kickstart our thanksgiving. We'll eat a wonderful meal. And in it we'll find the joy of eating in the context of thanksgiving. And we'll find the joy of spending time with our families in the context of thanksgiving. Maybe the joy of watching a football game in the context of thanksgiving. Whatever you're going to do on that day, you can, if it's virtuous, enjoy it in the context of thanksgiving. But when we come outside of that context, it can become wrong. It can become a vice. Not because God has meanly withheld these things from us, but because they're not in Him, and if they're not in Him, then it's not what's best for us anyway. The blessings that we have been given in Christ all around us to live this life, do you live within the context of those blessings in humility and in peace and in obedience and in patience and temperance and sincerity? And in doing so, there's so much to enjoy in this life. Are you thankful for that which God has provided? Say, but pastor, you don't understand. If you knew my circumstances, you would understand my anxieties. Well, God has called you to peace. And I, I'm pretty sure in our Bibles, there's no little asterisk. We run to the bottom and it says, unless you have bad circumstances. My boss is so unkind, you don't understand. Well, I understand what God's word says, that you're to honor those that are in authority over you. Can you approach him with thanksgiving or her? My parents are so stifling. Did God give you those parents? My parents don't understand. Did God give you those parents? You have the responsibility to approach your interaction with them with thanksgiving. But I really want to do fill in the blank of something that God has not given unto you. Well, if God hasn't given it to you, then is it really what's best for you? Do you really believe that God is sitting up there in heaven laughing and withholding from you things that, that are good for you? Or is it that he hasn't given it to you because it's not actually what you want? If it's what you, it may be what you want, but it's not what you really want, want not what you need. It's not actually going to give you what you're seeking, the fulfillment you, you desire. What the Bible often calls the pleasures of flesh for a season. Can we approach the boundaries that God has given us, which, by the way, are wide boundaries in this world, with thanksgiving? On the authority of God's word, you are complete in Christ, in what he has afforded for you. You don't need to go outside of his provision to find happiness and joy. And I guarantee you, if you go outside of his provision, you won't find it the way you're seeking it. Fullness of joy rests in what God has given for you to enjoy. And he's given so much to us. He's not withheld it from us. He's not called us to live in a little monastery cut off from all material possessions and everything in the world. He's given us this world to have dominion over and to enjoy. My challenge to you this week is this. Examine your life within the context of thanksgiving. Do it as a family. Father, sit down and challenge yourself and your children in this. Bathe your time in prayer. Examine what in your life you can truly do and receive with genuine thanksgiving. And if you can receive it with thanksgiving, if you can receive, if you can receive something in life with thanksgiving, genuinely before God, thanking God for it, knowing that it's a pleasure that God has given you, then enjoy it. It's yours to enjoy. If you can have it with thanksgiving,
before God genuinely. Don't let your heart deceive you. Go into the word of God and determine what you can joyfully receive of him. Is everything in your life something that you can receive joyfully with thanksgiving? Thank you, God, for giving me that day where I can go fishing. Thank you, God, for giving me this. Thank you, God, for giving me that. Those are blessings of the Lord if he's given it to you in thanksgiving. Examine those things in your life which you cannot do without offending your conscience or God's word. Are you living outside of this context of thanksgiving in certain areas of your life? And if so, there's something wrong. You need to dig to the root of it. Find out why. And put a thankful heart in place for that which God has given you. And if you will do this, what you will find on the authority of God's word is peace. Abundant life in Christ. And then, as you live this way, your flesh weakens. You find your joy in that which Christ has given. It becomes far greater than that which the world would give you as an alternative. And there will be peace, and there will be joy as we receive God's promises with thanksgiving.